Again, if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to take a peek at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Um, this, this passage is a, is a popular passage. We typically read this passage and we fix our attention on, um, uh, on the, the, the reflections that it gives us as it relates to marriage, our marriage. I want, this, I want to take this morning to fix our attention on the reflections that it gives us as it relates to the marriage that we have with Christ. You know, because this passage is about teaching, it's about teaching us something regarding marriage. You know, in, in this society, in this day, in this age, we are hearing all sorts of different messages as it relates to what marriage is. What is a good marriage? What is a bad marriage? Even if you, if you pay attention to social media, maybe you saw some things this week of, um, and a lot of buzz around the word entanglement or, or around the word entanglements with celebrity celebrity uh, news that, that's been going on this week. And so everybody has an ideal about what a marriage is, what a good marriage is, what a bad marriage is. But the scriptures give us clear guidance as to how we are to find success in marriage, all right? And I want you to, I want you to sink your teeth, so to speak, into this passage later on as you think about your own marriage. But for now, I want to sink uh, dig into this passage and look at it as it relates to the marriage that we enjoy with Christ Jesus. As you know, we have been digging in for the last several weeks on uh, in our sermon series called Church Life. And church life has been all about what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to be the church, the purpose, the role, the function? And we've been looking at all of these different metaphors that God gives us for the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of God, the 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 the, the commonwealth, the 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 the, the, the household of faith, all of these different passages or all of these different metaphors and the passages that go along with them. Well, this morning, we want to fix our attention on the bride of Christ. And there's three things I want, us, I, want, I want us to settle on this morning as we think about the bride of Christ. Number one, Christ loves his bride. Number two, Christ prepares his bride. And number three, Christ presents his bride. Christ loves his bride richly and deeply. Christ prepares his bride fully and completely. And Christ presents his bride wholly and spotlessly. Let's look first at the, 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 first, um, the first statement that I made. Christ richly and deeply loves his bride. Christ richly loves us. Paul, in verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians 5, addresses his exhortation to wives. And in that exhortation, we are given the reminder from Paul that husbands are to lead their wives. And, they are to, and those wives are to submit to that leadership. But then in verse 25, Paul begins to unpack what that leadership should actually look like for the husband. He starts with this word, a very important word that grounds everything else that Paul is saying. Love. Husbands, in Ephesians 5.25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice here that Paul turns to Christ as the quintessential example of what it means to lead a bride. And that leadership that he points to in Jesus starts with love. Here's how one pastor, Pastor Tony Evans in Oak Cliff Fellowship in Dallas, 
This is how he highlights this connection. He says, far too many men think headship means playing dictator or telling everyone what to do, but biblical headship means being a responsible governing authority, and biblical love means compassionately, righteously, and sacrificially pursuing the well-being of another. You see, in Scripture, biblical manhood, or biblical leadership, rather, and biblical authority and biblical love are irrevocably joined together. They're connected. Biblical leadership, biblical authority, and biblical love are connected. Christ leads his bride with love. And so what does it mean to be called the bride of Christ? Well, it means being a part of a corporate global body that is richly and deeply loved by the God of the universe. And what does it mean to be loved? First, to be loved is to be loved in such a way that it is not necessarily earned. Hear the words of the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. He says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you hear that? He loved us not because we presented ourselves worthy of love. He loved us because out of the abundance of grace and mercy, he set his affections on us. To take this unusual love a step further, when we say we are loved by God, we also mean that his love towards us was initiated without prompting from us. You see, God didn't love us because we loved him. He loved us with no reciprocity from us. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, we hear this, in this is love, not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Often we make our moment, the moment where we turn to Christ as the moment where love was for first shown in this relationship. But long before our hearts were ever awakened to pursue Jesus, Jesus was pursuing us with love. We didn't pursue Jesus first. Jesus loved us and pursued us first. So God's love was shared with us, not because we are worthy of love, nor was God's love given to us because we displayed love or initiated that love. But to take this even deeper, when we say we are loved by God, we also mean that God loved us while we despised him. Though he was a faithful God, full of grace and full of mercy, we were an unfaithful people, unwilling to follow his laws, unwilling to obey his commandments, unwilling, unwilling to give him the glory that is due his name. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 reads, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So to be the bride of Christ is to be a people that are loved by God despite our sinful hatred towards God. It is to be a people loved by God despite our lack of uh, reciprocation of love towards God. It is to be a people loved by God despite our unworthiness of being loved by God. In Christ, we the bride have been richly and deeply loved. Paul tells these husbands to not only lead in love, but lead in an active and sacrificial love. Again, Hebrews, uh, uh, Ephesians 5 and 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The love that Christ loved us with prompted him to move, prompted him to act. To move from heaven to earth and to act by laying down his his very own life and, and, and giving us life. You see, this is why our love, our love, the love that we reflect back into the world must take on an active and sacrificial dynamic. We must love with the love that we've been loved with. Some of us are far too content with receiving an active and sacrificial love while giving to the world a passive and and comfortable and safe love. This is not adequate representation of the bride of Christ. We've been loved actively. We've been loved sacrificially. So in turn, we give active and sacrificial love into the world. We know better than most what it means to be loved richly and deeply, sacrificially and actively. We know better than most what it means to be loved without giving love back in return. We know better than most what it means to be loved without being worthy of that love. We know better than most what it means to be loved even when we are returning that love. With hatred. Saints, how has the lover of your soul changed the way that you love those around you? Has your love become more active? Has your love become more sacrificial? Has your love become less dependent on who returns love back? Has your love become less dependent on who is good enough for your love? Has your love become less dependent on whether you're hate whether you are hated or not. You see, when you understand the love by which we've been loved with, then it transforms the love in which you love with. This should be the response to being loved deeply and richly as the bride of Jesus Christ. But as his bride, he is also doing more besides loving us. We find in verse 26 of chapter 5 that he is preparing us. Ephesians 5 and 26, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Paul again points to the example of Jesus as he instructs husbands how to lead their wives. He says that Christ leads his bride. 
the church by loving her through her warts and through her imperfections, but in loving her past her faults, Christ is not content in leaving her in her faults. He desires to beautify her and perfect her. Like many marriages in the present day, in ancient days, the bride would undergo a period of preparation and beautification leading up to the ceremony. They would have washed the bride and, and perfumed her and oiled her and arrayed her in precious metals and precious stones and beautiful garments. One scholar writes about this washing that we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, and he says, this washing probably alludes figuratively to the bride's prenuptial washing. After this washing, the bride was perfumed, anointed, arrayed in wedding clothes. And the betrothal ceremony in Judaism was also, also came to be called the sanctification of the bride. The sanctification of the bride. We even read in Esther that her beautification period for the king took one full year, six months where she was oiled, six months in which she was arrayed with spices and ointments. We even see this in our own modern day wedding preparations. Our brides, they start sometimes a six-month weight loss plan or a uh, I, I, I might have a few, a few ladies on, on the internet that know what I'm talking about, where you go out and you measure your dress size six months in advance, and you say, okay, this is the dress size that I want to be in come wedding day. This is the dress size I'm in now, but this is the dress size that I want to be in come the wedding day. Some of our females, you get your best stylist on deck. To give you the hairstyle of your life, you get the best nail technician on deck to hook your nails up. You get the, the, the best makeup artist on deck to doll you up for the day. You find the best fragrances for the occasion that the budget, the best fragrance that the budget will allow. You prepare for the moment. What does it mean to be the bride of Christ and be prepared for the moment? It means that we are richly and deeply loved. But it also means that we are fully and completely being prepared. In other words, the preparation that Christ is performing is happening within us. We, his church and his bride, have been and are being cleansed from the inside out. And he gave his very life in order to accomplish that. Now notice that I said that we have been cleansed and are being cleansed. I said we have been cleansed because this truth we, we call positional sanctification, which means in Christ we have been pronounced clean. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You are a holy people, already a holy people. Christ has declared you a holy people. You see, if you have declared Jesus Christ the Savior, Lord of your life, then it literally does not matter what baggage you bring with you. You have been pronounced holy. You have been pronounced 
clean. You have been sanctified and set apart for God's service and God's glory. But I also said that you are being clean. In this truth, we call progressive sanctification, which means that while you are no longer guilty and while you are declared clean, you are still maturing and being perfected. You are clean and you are being cleansed. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then it says that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all, such, uh, uh, the avenger of all, such as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Sanctification is ongoing in that passage. Flee from sexual immorality. Do not defraud your brother. Do not defraud your sister. So Christ died in order that both, both of these, positional sanctification and progressive sanctification, would be accomplished. He has perfected you, and he is perfecting you. Christ takes the church as we are, but never intends to leave us as we are. <clears throat> In fact, the prophet Ezekiel paints a picture of the beautiful cleansing power of Christ in the 16th chapter of his prophetic writings. He says, when I passed by you again and saw you, Behold, you were at the age of love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and and I shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I have bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Who were we in that story? We were the naked ones who were covered. We were the unclean ones who were bathed with water. The abused ones whose blood was washed off. The poor ones who was given clean and precious garments and adorned with precious metals and stones. You see, the Lord didn't wait for us to get ready before he came to us. The Lord came to us as we were and declared us clean 
And now the Lord continues the work of cleaning us. As his bride, we must enter the world the same way. We must engage the world the same way. We must enter the world as a people that have been cleansed and as a people that are being cleansed by the grace of God. Not because we deserved it. Not because our willpower enabled it. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I fear with the standards in which we set for those who desire to step through the doors of our church buildings or those that desire to cross the threshold of our church bodies, I fear that we have forgotten that it is only by the grace of God that we ourselves are here. It is only by the grace of God that we've been cleansed in our being cleansed. We only want to welcome people without issues. We want to welcome people without dirt. We want to welcome people that are in need, in need of no cleaning. We want to welcome people without need. But to expect that type of person and to only accept that type of person in our presence and in our social circles is to lose sight of who we were when Christ found us and who we still are as he continues to cleanse us. Sometimes our willing unwillingness to accept people into our inner relational circles within our churches because they quote unquote aren't clean enough serves as more of an indictment on us. Serves as an indictment on our own ignorance about who we actually are and what is actually being done in us by someone outside of us, which is Christ Jesus. It is not our willpower. It's not our effort. Christ is cleansed, and Christ is cleansing. And when that truth gets, gets down on the inside of you, you will erect no obstacles in front of another who desires the same thing. So how is Christ doing it? How is he preparing his bride? What tools has he used and is he using? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it says, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Last week we read in John chapter 15 these words, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And just a few chapters later in chapter 17, we read these words, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Again, we see this work that has been done and this work that is being done. Through the words of the gospel, Jesus has declared us clean. The good news that declares that we are all sinners because of the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And that ever since their act, their act Adam and Eve's act of disobedience, man has been passively and actively disobeying God as a result of that act. And man has been passively and actively storing up eternal wrath and judgment in the eternal flame for that disobedience. But because God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whoever might believe in him would not perish and face eternal destruction and judgment, but would have eternal life with God. 
that because Christ went to the cross, any man or woman can be saved if they simply turn from their life of rebellion against God and trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of the world. This is the word of the gospel that makes us clean, that sanctifies us. But the ongoing sanctification is happening as we continue to walk in the word, as we continue to let his words take root in the depths of our heart. For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word or according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandment. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We are cleansed by the word of the gospel that has been declared to us, but we are being cleaned every day as we continue to internalize that word. How do you become more like Jesus? How do you reflect more of Jesus' character in your life? How are, you, how are you being sanctified? How do you grow in God? Family, by opening up your Bible, by digging into the Word of God daily, by memorizing the Word of God, by internalizing the word of God, by meditating on the word of God, by letting the truth of the gospel take root in your heart, by letting it soak inside of you. This is the tool by which Christ is preparing his bride. Thus, this is the tool that we must hold fast to. So Christ loves us richly and deeply. And Christ prepares us fully and completely. And lastly, Christ is presenting us holy and spotless. Verse 27 of chapter 5, it says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus loves his bride. Jesus prepares his bride. Jesus presents his bride. Present her perfected. No spots. No wrinkles. No blemishes. You know, I can recall the days in the weeks leading up to me and Candy's marriage. Candy and I got married literally a stone's throw down the street, less, less than a half a mile down the street from where I'm standing now. And the preparation felt in that moment, in that season, chaotic. We had facility worries, you know. Are we gonna stay within budget? Do we have the proper place that we can, that we can rent? And we had food worries. How are we gonna feed all these people? Started out with a small list of invites, and before you know it, that list grew way beyond what we were expecting. So how are we gonna feed all these people if they all show up? And they did. We had accommodation worries. Do we have enough seats for all these people? Because we didn't expect them, but nevertheless, they're here. And like most weddings, the day of the wedding was extremely jam-packed. So many things to do in so little time. Haircuts having to be, having to be uh, taken care of. Tuxedos 
having to be, you know, rented and all that kind of stuff. Makeup having to be put on, I'm sure, for my bride. So much going on. But some way, somehow, it all came together at the right time. Our family was fabulous. Our friends were tremendous. They stepped in in countless ways to alleviate all of our concerns and all of our worries. The church was perfectly suited for our needs. The, the, the gymnasium in which we rented was perfect for our, for our, for our uh, uh, celebration. Everything just worked out exactly like we had prayed it would. But that wasn't the moment that I knew everything that we had endured before that moment was worth it. That wasn't the moment. You know when the moment was? The moment was when the doors of the sanctuary of that church building opened and I saw that beautiful woman standing in the middle of the aisle, perfection personified. All the eyes of the church fixed on her and every single ounce of preparation all felt worth it. The church as the bride of Christ is in the middle of its preparations. And these preparations, they too bring their share of headaches. Far more significant headaches than the ones that Candy and I experienced in our preparation. You see, these preparations include pandemics that we must contend with. These preparations include threats of division across racial lines and class lines and, and theological lines. These preparations include the threats of persecution for our brothers and sisters across the globe, and who knows, possibly even us one day in these states. These preparations include tough marriages and wayward children. These preparations include sickness in our body. These preparations include indwelling sin that we keep fighting off every day, and yet it keeps showing up at the door, tempting us over again. These preparations are hard. These preparations are tiring. But here's what we're looking forward to. Revelations chapter 19, verse 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made himself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The wedding day is coming. And this wedding day is our eternity. This points to the moment where pain will cease. This points to the moment where tears will be no more. This points to the moment where the light of God will light the sky. This points to the moment where we will have no want, nor worry, nor need. Where the worship of the Lamb will know no end. This points to the moment where all the preparation in this life will finally feel like it was worth it. Christ, out of his love for us, is undergoing preparation, preparation that he began when he 
hung on the cross for our sins. Preparation that he began by allowing his own body to be slain. Preparation that he began in order that his bride may be presented spotless, wrinkleless, blemishless, and holy. We can take heart that even though the preparation can be a, can be a challenge at times, that the presentation is sure to happen. Because the God of the universe has loved us richly and loved us deeply. And so he is sure to complete the work that he has started in his church. The bride will be made ready for the marriage feast. And our collective joy will be made complete. So even in this hour that we are in, even in the midst of the heartache and the hardships in which some of us are enduring and some of us are sure to endure in the days ahead, take courage. Jesus Christ came to earth. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Jesus Christ rose from the grave in order that his bride may know his love richly and deeply, in order that his bride may be prepared completely and fully in order that his bride might be presented holy and spotless. In the midst of the preparations we are experiencing in this life, may we all keep our eyes on that great wedding day. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we give you thanks and we give you praise and we give you glory and honor. We ask, Lord, that you would help us fix our attention and fix our eyes on that great marriage feast to come. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would continue your work, your preparing of us, your sanctifying of us. We thank you for the sanctification that has happened. And we pray, Lord God, for our progressive sanctification and our progressive growth through your son. And Father, we thank you that we are richly and deeply loved. Lord God, may we be reminded of these truths when life gets hard. And Father, for those who do not know you this morning, those that are listening in, I pray that their hearts and their affections would be turned towards you. I pray, Lord God, that they would embrace you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord God, that they would repent and turn, Lord God, from their life of disobedience and sin. And that they would turn, Lord God, even in their imperfections, Lord God, even in their, even in all of, with all of their baggage, Lord God, that they would turn to you and that through your son, Father, they would find a bridegroom, one who picks them up, covers them, cleans them, and begins the work of preparation for the marriage, marriage feast ahead. God, we love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless y'all. We love you guys. Amen.